Thanks for tuning in to the Ecclesia podcast. We are a group of people committed to proclaiming the words and doing the works of Jesus and his kingdom. And these podcast episodes are conversations we're having in our community. You can join the conversation by engaging on all the typical social medias and by joining us Sunday mornings at 11. Thanks for listening. So it's uh, Epiphany. Um, so we're, we'll be going, to, going through the, the gospel portions of the lectionary for the most part. Um, and unusually this week um, deviates and goes to the gospel of John when most, most of the lectionary for this year is actually through Luke. Um, but traditionally, the wedding of Cana, the, the, uh, what we'll be reading today, um, is, is read an epiphany, so as the, the first sign of, of Jesus' ministry. So I'll begin with the passage, and if you want to read along, it's uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, if, if you would like to. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what is that concern to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars, for the Jewish or Judean rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward had tasted the water that had become wine, they did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn water knew. The steward called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Canaan of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. It's already mid-January. Our wine bottles are empty. <laughs> Surely we were supposed to be in full celebration at this point. Many of us had hoped that at this point in the pandemic behind us, we'd no longer be wearing masks, constantly hitting the refresh button on the CDC website. Surely vaccines and a new presidential administration would vanquish so many injustices and put our lives back to normal. And the polarization return us to domestic tranquility, It's almost laughable to think how hopeful we were at the very start of 2021, convinced it would look completely different from 2022, or 2020, and it's a new year. Now, for some, it's still fresh, and hope, and full of new possibilities, and I certainly don't want to diminish that in any way. But for others, the happy new year 2022 balloons are all popped and deflated. Many of us are still struggling with the same responsibilities and relationships that have been leaving us exhausted. The constant pressures to have our shit together can be more than we can sustain. Burnout is the sign of the times. We're pushed to be on it all the time, performing success propped up by various performances of positivity, ideological purity, 
washing our hands of this or that, distancing ourselves from social contaminants who say and do and believe all the wrong things, doing all we can to get it right, bring about just and equitable world under the banner of the gospel, all while devoid of unself-conscious joy. This past year, we did hard work to release some of what was holding us back, making our community unsafe. And now our, un- our somewhat reliable supply of wine from the vineyard has run out. And we're doing all we can to do the stuff, keep the party going. But many of us are tired and worn out and don't have energy to put on a show. And we find ourselves asking important questions about why we're doing any of this at all. In so many ways and in so many places, folks are coming to us with demands and expectations and we find ourselves with little to offer. We're often reaching down to the bottom of the barrel and coming up empty. This was, of course, similar to the problem in the well-known story of the wedding of Canaan. Our gospel reading for the second week of Epiphany. Jesus, Mary, and his disciples had been invited to a wedding. A typically joyous celebration that in the first century would last, go on for days, at least go on for days, but as anyone who has ever been to, been to a wedding and been behind the scenes of an actual wedding knows they're often incredibly stressful and miserable events for the people hosting them. <laughs> <laughs> Expectations and social pressures can be off the charts as was no doubt the case here in this story, to the utter cultural and cult- other, utter cultural shame of the hosts on this most special occasion, the wine jugs had run out. According to church tradition in the passage, it seems, itself seems to suggest that Jesus and his mother were likely relatives of the hosts. And as such, they would have been culturally expected to supply provisions for the wedding. Like many women who continue to bear the burden of being attuned to crises, Mary alerts Jesus to the disaster. To which Jesus responds, Of what concern is that to me and to you? My hour has not yet come. It's a jarring reply, particularly for those of us who are used to doing all that we can to give people what they want. Surely, if someone has a problem, it's Jesus' responsibility to fix it. Surely, it's our Christian duty to respond to every cry for help. Perhaps not. Indeed, consistent throughout the Gospel of John until his trial and execution, Jesus acts of his own initiative. He creates a strange distance from the familial and social pressures that confront him, choosing instead to respond on his own terms, rooted in his own divine identity and sense of timing. Few demands are truly urgent, and not every concern is ours to bear, his response seems to remind us. That is, Jesus responds not by anxiously meeting the request on their own terms or like a monkey performing miracles, but transforming these events into a sign the very first sign, John tells us, but a sign of what and why. 
You see, so much of the Christianity that we've inherited has fixated on the signs and has failed to pay much attention to what the signs are pointing to. We've learned to revere the Word of God as a box of true beliefs so that we can get the right answers or enact traditional Christian practices so that we can do the right things and come out with clean hands or love signs and wonders like the spectacle of a good magic show. Yo, Jesus, do that thing you do. No wonder we want to leave it all behind. We'll come up empty every time. It's easy to lose a sense of what the signs are pointing to, all the more so when folks are ripping the signposts out of the ground and using them as weapons. And so we begin to wonder if there's really a divine word worth hearing, a word that might speak through the noise and clutter of what we're already saying, already expecting to hear, to say something else. To which Jesus tells us, listen to him. Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stones of water jars for the Jewish or Judean sites of pur- rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out. Take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called to the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests had become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. See, if you look closely, the transformation of water into wine is mentioned only in passing. It's barely noticeable in the text. Listen again. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from. It's literally beside the point. There's no pizzazz, no words of incantation. What's highlighted in the passage is less that the water is supernaturally transformed into wine, but that it's really good wine. And that despite having run out, they have an abundance to celebrate with. And more remarkable still, it's available for guests too drunk to fully appreciate it. (laughs) Jesus did this, it says in verse 11, the first of his signs in Canaan of Galilee and revealed his glory and the disciples believed him. It grounds and orients all the signs that follow. Was the sign simply a magic trick to somehow prove his divinity? Biblically and theologically, the answer to that question is a resounding no. Philosophically, nothing could prove it. And Jesus even says later on in the gospel that we will do even greater things than these. And yet, in this first sign, the glory of God is revealed. It is revealed here. But how and in what sense? Though we would appear to be coming up empty, the tangible word of God brings us the wine of our own wedding. 
See, here in the wedding of Canaan is a sign that if we would turn and listen to the word made flesh and do what he says, we might taste the love of God on our lips, smell its fragrance, and experience its warmth and ecstasy in our bodies. We would discover that God's desire is to sweep us off our feet into the divine dance to spend an eternity loving us as if we were God, just as God loves God's self in the Trinity. To lead us by the hand in rapturous joy and surprise into the wedding that is the kingdom of God, eternal life. Because as we share in the life of the Son, we are already the one who God desires Already enough, already more than enough. Listen to him. Do whatever he tells you. People need to trust that there is a word worth hearing here. A word that speaks from beyond us. A word who speaks when we have none of our own. None of our own to offer. A word worth waiting for, returning to, listening for, and responding to in faithful obedience. A word, the word, testified in these very words of Scripture. The sign that points to the glory of God. All this is to say that when we find ourselves scraping at the bottom of the barrel for some ounce of joy, feeling shame over not having enough to offer, feeling the urgency of so many demands and impossible requests, we're invited to see that what we need or what others may think they need from us has already been provided, offered to us by the guest who is in fact the host. The one who is already present in his own time and in his own way, imbibing the ordinary with the signs of eternity. Clothing gathered for the cold, raucous dance parties, care packages, and quarantine spontaneous potlucks, delicious whiskey, and the raptures of being fully seen and held. Signs cloaked in God's desire for us, signs soaked in it, the embodied knowing that God has come in the flesh to love us in the flesh. There is no scarcity here. It is the third day, as it says. The resurrection has dawned. Jesus has already brought the wine, the best of it, more than enough. And he squanders it on people like us, a community like us, even when we're too drunk to appreciate it. See, we don't have to muster all our resources to ensure that we've got our shit together. We don't have to have it. We don't have to bring it. Jesus has already brought it. We've only looked to the sign and see where it points. Listen for his words and do what he says, for in it is eternal life. Joy that reveals the very glory of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Join the conversation by engaging on all the typical social medias and by joining us Sunday mornings at 11. Peace and love to you all.